Jeremy, when you were little, did you uh, watch a lot of inappropriate movies? Was your mom protective about that? To a degree, but not really. I think I've talked before about how I got to rent like a bunch of like Ralph Bakshi stuff. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Things like that. So pretty permissive at the video store as far as what I would see. Um, I remember like at a certain point, like when I was a teenager and I was like actually like cognizant of like the stuff I was renting being like inappropriate for my age that there was this woman named uh, Brunhilde who worked at the, I think she worked at a couple blockbuster locations Okay. or she might've worked at the one I went to before it closed down and she might transfer to Blockbuster. It's been a million years. Uh, You've seen her in more than one Blockbuster. I've seen her in more than one video store for sure. Okay. Uh, And she would like not let you rent stuff on your own if it was like R-rated and you weren't like 17. Some some people would like let that slide. Yeah. They'd let me rent Kill Bill or whatever. But uh, one time I tried to rent Akira and... Uh, <laughs> my dad was with me and she wasn't going to let me rent it on my own. <laughs> and so she was like, Oh, it has this and this and this in it. And my dad looked at me and I uh, was like, well, mom already let me rent it once. And he's just like, real frustrated. <laughs> and then I got to see Akira again. <laughs> I remember at the video store near where I grew up, uh, you could have like your parent put a thing on your account if you were underage where you'd be able to rent R-rated movies. Oh, that's cool. They that's just had a, a thing and they a signed waiver. or something. Yeah. So my uh, waiver, uh, my mom said I could rent Turok. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I had that hooked up, although I wasn't really that big into watching crazy movies when I was a teenager. No. I was more renting video games like a nerd. Mm-hmm. But uh, I did, when I was fairly young, watch a lot of inappropriate movies. Like, one of my favorite movies when I was young, and I'm thinking I was probably like seven around this time, was uh, RoboCop. Yeah, yeah, you've said that which, before. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of violence. But I was also, we were talking in between episodes about... Uh, the Predator franchise. The Predator franchise, right. And I was thinking about how... I really liked Predator 2 when I was a kid, and I was like, that was not an appropriate movie for a child to be watching. No, I suppose not. <laughs> uh, I remember renting Heavy Metal. Nice. That was sick. I also rented uh, this anime that was about uh, it was about like a demon hunter. Uh, she had to be like a virgin or something, but she still got naked a lot. Yeah. Uh, it was called Devil Hunter Yoko. Nice. I remember, yeah, it was a tape I rented. I was... I read about it online, and I was like, that sounds sick. I was like, I'm going to rent this. Horny little 14-year-old watching my cartoons. Yes, lovely, lovely big-titty cartoons. Yeah, it's It's the way it goes. No one objected to that, I think, because they were cartoons. (laughs) (laughs) So you couldn't... uh... (laughs) I told you on the last episode I was done with books, and I was just going back to cartoons. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about how they wouldn't let you rent Akira, but they let you rent that. I think it was just one of those things where it was just it was dependent on the person, you know. Oh Brunhilde, yeah, I guess that's true. Brunhilde was especially uh, strident. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, yeah. 
Uh, welcome to the Raincoat Report. This is Boss here with Jeremy. Yeah. And we're, uh, we're you, talking about you ready, flicks today. You ready, are you ready to skin flicks and chill? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remember when people used to say that? Yes, I remember that. Back before everybody streamed everything. Damn it. Back in the day, we used to skin flicks and chill. Yeah. Now we just skin flicks just all on our own. Yes. Uh, and we did today for the podcast. Oh, yeah. We uh, experienced Gerard Damiano's 1978 film, Skin Flicks. Wow. Uh, Gerard Damiano, of course, being a uh, a legend in the history of hardcore pornography. Uh, and in this case, he is kind of uh, doing something pretty creative here, doing a very meta view of the porn industry and certainly his own experiences i'm sure yeah definitely it's uh it's very cre- yeah i wouldn't expect anything less from the man who did memories within miss aggie he is can like because we've covered some of his early stuff and now we're getting into like later period or i guess mid-period career for him and uh you can definitely see the evolution of a pretty singular talent, I think. Yeah, I think you definitely can. And I think that it's interesting because we get to see something that's at least, it has to be at least partially autobiographical here. Oh, yeah. So we get to get kind of a view of Damiano's, like, feelings about the sex film industry. Mm -hmm. And we get to see... Quite literally, the main character here, Harry, the director uh-huh. uh, of this, the director in this film. Yes. But not of this film. No. Uh, we get to see him. Well, the director of this film is in this film. He is, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Harry, the director character inside this film that was directed by somebody else who is also in this film. Whoa. Uh, Harry, the director talks very bluntly about his like opinions on pornography and stuff and it's interesting it's an interesting meditation on pornography in a way mm-hmm. on obsession uh i also think that it's really rough around the edges oh definitely and uh we'll we'll get into that later mm-hmm. in the episode but who's in it uh well we've got quite a few noteworthy faces here uh, we have Herschel Savage and Joey Silvera. and mm-hmm. They're in pretty uh, brief roles. Yeah, Arbola, Robert Kerman. But importantly, we have Tony Hudson playing the lead role of Harry the Director. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jamie Gillis playing an important role as Norman. Uh, and of course, as you pointed out, Gerard Damiano himself plays uh al yeah who uh i guess is a wise guy you can call me al i'll be your bodyguard is that a song i don't know i don't think so (laughs) i think it is i mean it is now i'm gonna put it on uh, when we go to break and we'll figure it out and you gotta if i'm right you gotta cut it in (laughs) so uh one one quick thing uh i also forgot to point out that uh, Beerbone Tree is in this. Yeah, I was waiting for you to get to him. Uh, he plays Max, uh, but Beerbone Tree 
will be familiar to our ardent fan base. Yeah, long-time listeners only. <laughs> as uh, Jack, the lead character in The Naughty Victorians, who uh, had a lovely playroom of his own. <laughs> he sure did. The house that Jack built. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> on the lady side, though, we got Sharon Mitchell. Yes. Uh, another role where she has long hair, which she doesn't have very often. No, no. It always... it. Unless I see her, like, face, because she has quite a distinctive, I think, I believe, kind of a nose. Right. Uh, and she has long hair. I don't re- recognize her at first. Right. Uh, I think she was on, like, a scene or two before I was like, oh, yeah, that's her. Yeah. Um, maybe we're not the best people to be doing this sort of podcast, but it's been, like, 150 episodes probably by now. <laughs> I don't think it's that many, but... <laughs> <laughs> I will say that that we have gotten very far down the road, and I feel like we've learned very little. I've learned a lot. I reflect a lot about all these films that I've seen. I I have also learned a lot, but my memory is no better, that's for sure. Well, no, my memory is bad, but I think back to all the great moments in film, and uh, they tickle my fancy. Uh, we also have uh, Colleen Anderson as Anne. She's one of the lead ladies as well, alongside Sharon Mitchell. Have we seen her anything else? Her name does not ring a her bell. Her name seems familiar to me. She was in... She was in Nothing That We've Seen. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. That's what I was thinking. She's not right, this very much enough. either. Yeah, well, she's like, I thought she was going to be like a main character. A main character. And she was like at the beginning and then she kind of disappears. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, again, this film's kind of rough around the edges, but it's it's in a way kind of insightful and interesting, especially if you're a, a student of the film industry, the adult film industry of the time, like yeah. we are. Yeah, they were students. We, we are were all students. under the guise of under the guidance of the teacher. Yes, we are but students. <laughs> yes, we are. Now bend over. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk more about skin flicks. I was right, though. It was a Paul Simon song. <laughs> Damn and it. It pained Boss so much that I had to turn it off. <laughs> it was... Well, he uh, had to turn it off. He made a scramble for my phone. <laughs> it was excruciating after a bit. Yeah, there was like a piping sound in there that really seemed to uh, like trigger you in a way. It was... It, it set something off inside you. It was very high-pitched and upsetting. Yeah. And, uh... Oh, a little dog. I think it was also being a little distorted by your phone speaker in a no. way that, like, made it more grating. No. My phone has a uh, great speaker. Okay. 
I didn't mean to be critical of your phone speaker. Okay. Just of Paul Simon. Just of Paul Simon and the nasty sounds that he makes. <laughs> He's as bad as you making nasty sounds. Yeah, I think uh, that song really sucks. I'm <laughs> sorry that it's bouncing around in my head still. Well, that brings us to Skin Flicks. So, Skin Flicks opens on a man, Harry, eating a hamburger at a desk. We then cut to a woman, and this is Anne, played by Colleen... Anderson and Harry again is Tony Hudson. Anne also has a hamburger (laughs) and she's talking about how she hasn't done anything like this before. She talks about having recently come to town and she's wowed when she's told that she could make $200 for around four hours of work, which would be a good rate these days for an average person, but in the 70s. And it's great. And they were having inflation problems back then, too. Harry says, that's show business for you, kid. Harry makes it clear that someday someone she knows might see this, though. He notes that she can turn a trick to make money just like that, but film is forever. Anne thinks about it, but finally decides to do it just to stick it to her ex that left her. After the two finish their hamburgers, they're ready, and we cut to credits as we see the whole crew lighting a set and setting up a shot as Harry's talking to them. We get some piano music as we get a montage, including a well-mustached Herschel Savage who plays Harvey. He's in the makeup chair. Uh, the bed that they're using for the shoot's getting made, and we see Anne also getting makeup. Uh, More set dressing as the crew sets up and we end the credits. We see Harry talking to Harvey and Anne on the bed. Uh, They are going to be shooting a sex scene together. He's giving direction for them to focus only on one another. Then we also see Harvey giving Anne kind of a pep talk and giving her some tips. Yeah. Uh, The bed is decorated with scary dolls. Yeah, it's a terrifying (laughs) council of dolls that has gathered here to judge them. You know, like, just ignore it. You know, it's just set dressing, but why? Um, We get to see a panning shot of all the dolls as we see Harvey and Anne engaged in sex. We see Harvey's back, but the camera pans to their faces so that we get their reactions before we see any nudity in the film. Yeah. Uh, though we quickly cut to a fairly close-up penetration shot after that. He's really laying it to her. He sure is. Herschel Savage, I don't think that he's gotten enough respect for all the pipe that he's laid. Yeah, we have we diminished him long ago, and I was thinking when we were watching this that I was like, we really, we really did him wrong. <laughs> I'd like to apologize officially to Herschel Savage. <laughs> I will join in in that apology. Yeah. Uh, We've never really been critical of him, I don't think. But we just, we haven't given him... His due. His due. Yeah, we would, uh, I think it's because the first couple appearances we saw of him, he was just not like a presence. He just got kind of cucked really quickly. Yes, it was was multiple films in a row. (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't a good first impression, but uh, we've seen since then that if there's pipe to be laid, you can call on Herschel. Yes, and uh, he's a take-charge man, and he'll stretch any hole. Yeah. Show uh, him a hole, and he'll go to it. He's a natural. <laughs> so, 
Harvey and Anne are enjoying themselves. Anne notes that she's going to come, and the music kicks in really loud as Harvey speeds up fucking her. We see them making out, followed by some cunnilingus. Anne stroking his cock as he's licking away. And after a bit, we cut to Anne blowing Harvey, telling him to come in her mouth. Uh, she does some beautiful ball licking here. Yes. Uh, it's also at this point that I noticed that there's a Flesh Gordon poster in the background. Oh yeah, there's a couple great posters uh, throughout this film. I don't know if it's quite in the scene yet or if it's come up, but there is at one point where she's kind of folded up while she's getting fucked and is licking her own knee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> I don't know if you had caught that, but no. I, I felt like an important detail. Uh Anything slightly out of the ordinary, a zero in on. Like a hawk. Harvey soon obliges, coming on Anne's lips and in her mouth as she licks his cock. We fade out from there, and then we fade in on a guy in an office with a Messiah of Evil poster. Yes. Another great poster. Oh, definitely. Uh, This is Max, played by Beerbone Tree. He's yelling at Harry, who is laying on the couch, about the film that he's expecting from him. It's ten days late. Harry says, the film just needs an ending. Max says, he'll take the beginning in the middle. Max says that his ass is on the line here. And Harry asks if he's ever let Max down. And Max says, no, but this time all he's doing is letting him down. Uh, there's also a poster on the wall that says the yin and yang of Mr. Go. Yeah. Which I think in some of the marketing text, I didn't get to read all of what it says, but mm-hmm. it, I think it compares it to Dr. No, the first James Bond movie. Oh, great. So I'm sure it's awesome. I'm, you got, sounds like you got to track it down, buddy. Yeah. Uh, Max invites Harry to his house for the weekend. Um, he says he's going to have people over. But he also says he needs something to show him, as he refers to him, by Monday. After Harry leaves, we find out who him is. And in this case, it's Al, played by Gerard Damiano himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Max calls Al, who demands the film. Max says the rushes are looking great, and Al doesn't want to hear no shit from rushes, I believe he says. Yeah, I feel like some of these things have to be things that he gerard was told directly probably yes (laughs) he demands max get him his film he hangs up and we see that al was sitting across the table from a woman who's credited as dancer played by gina harlow who he tells show me what you got she gets on a platform stage in the room and quickly undresses and shakes her ass a bit She lays on her back, spread with her legs in the air for a while, and Al walks up to her, lights a match, and holds it in front of her vagina, which then blows out the match. Yeah, she's doing like a little, like, kind of like a pussy popping thing where she's kind of like working her, I guess, her Kegels or whatever. Right. Where she's kind of like flexing the hole outward just a little bit. Yeah. It's not a prolapse, but it's a, it's a, you know? Yeah, it's a it's a little uh it's a little flex of the muscles. Yeah. Yeah. Let me let me see what that what that pussy do. <laughs> right? Let me see what that mouth do, is I think what they say. <laughs> Who says it? They do. 
the kids. <laughs> we then cut to a woman talking to Harry. Uh, Harry's interviewing her. Uh, this woman is credited as Girl on Swing. She's played by Beth Anna. Uh-huh. She talks about how sexual she is, and she says she's had sex on camera before. Yeah. Harry asks what sort of scene it was, and she describes some biker double penetration scene she was in. Yeah, this is in his office, right? Yes. Yeah, I think he has a Devil and Miss Jones poster. Yes. And there's also, on the other wall, there's a water power poster. Oh, I don't think I caught the water power poster. That's oh, awesome. I did. I was there. I saw it. <laughs> She offers to show her body to him, and she unzips her dress, talking about fooling around when she was young. She talks about how for years she thought sex was silly, but the first time she came, things changed. She became a woman, and she liked it. She talks about how she could shave her pussy if he wanted. She poses a bit in front of him, and then grabs his hand and places it over her bush as she keeps talking dirty about her holding her vagina open in front of a fan and bl- yeah. letting it blow in. Yeah, this is from the, I believe this is from the vagina monologues. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. She's doing, this is like her audition. This is all something she's memorized. After a bit, she knows she's doing all this talking and getting worked up and asks Harry if he wants to fuck her. Harry says, no, but I want to make you a star. Then we smash cut to a standing missionary position shot where Beth Anna is laying in a swing and Tony Mansfield is standing and fucking her. Yeah, he is wearing a sexual talisman of great power in the form of a Rolling Stones uh, lips and tongue yes. Med- medallion. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Uh, we get a bunch of penetration shots shot from below. Uh, there's this heavy disco funk jam playing as he's pounding away. Uh, We cut to her sitting in the swing, and she's blowing Tony, who's standing on the swing seat. Uh, We soon find out that the seat of the swing is transparent, as we get some shots from below of her vagina as she's sitting on it. Excellent. We cut to Tony sitting on the swing, being blown, and Tony finally strokes and comes right on her shoulder. Yeah, somewhere like on like the side and the back of her neck and her shoulder. I noted that this may be the only movie I've seen where that happens. Yeah. <laughs> we then cut it's not a normal place to usually shoot your load. Right. We then cut to Sammy, played by Arbola. He's in a bar in a leather jacket. He approaches Al, who's already sitting at a table with Harry. Uh, a woman is stripping in the background, and there's a funky song that plays a... Uh, a riff that kind of sounds like one of the main riffs in uh, Come Together. Yeah, yeah, it does. I was thinking something sounded familiar about it. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately for Sammy, uh, he doesn't have all of the money that Al is due today. Right. Uh, Harry hears this and decides that he should leave because uh, he could tell that a conflict was starting, but Al tells Harry not to leave. He says it'll take just a moment. Al basically tells Sammy off when he says that he needs more time. And after some yelling, Al tells Sammy to beat it. Al then tells Harry that he wants the film in two weeks. Harry asks Al to listen, but Al disregards him and tells Harry to watch this stripper, noting Harry can make her a star. She gives great (laughs) blowjobs. He invites him to watch her several times. (laughs) Yes. 
in this scene. Harry tells Al the editing's rough, the music isn't right, and he needs new opticals. And finally, Al just stops him and says, what you mean is you need more money. Harry keeps telling him the film's great, but Al says he can make the next film an epic, but he needs this one now. He finally tells Harry to leave, which then prompts Al to say once he stepped away, fucking filmmakers, an epic he wants. Fucking and sucking I need. <laughs> fucking filmmakers. We then cut to Harry making out with a naked woman. Uh, this is girl number one, as she's credited. Played by Jill Monroe. Great. She walks up a set of stairs and Harry follows. We see Jill blowing Harry. She stops to tell him he has a beautiful cock, which uh, she continues to suck. She also sucks his balls for a bit. And she says things like, oh, Harry, I love to do this to you. Yeah. <laughs> we see Harry going down on her as he holds her hips straight up in the air and her... Uh, She's kind of propped up on her shoulders. We then cut to Harry fucking her missionary, and this goes on for a few minutes, and he finally pulls out and blasts all over Jill, seemingly getting as high as her neck with her with his load. That's pretty good. Yeah, he had uh, quite some projection on that shot. <laughs> we then cut to a set. This is where we're introduced to Susan, played by Sharon Mitchell. She's riding a guy who is later called Peter, cowgirl. And after a bit, Harry calls Cut and asks Susan, what kind of shit is this? Noting that Peter's cock isn't even in her. Harry sends Peter away for a minute and kind of has a quiet talk with Susan, discovering that the camera is what's bothering her at this point. She knows that she's done loops before, but she's not really an actress. Harry suggests that she thinks back to the first time she got off and stopped trying to act and instead just... Imagine that she's one big cunt focused on pleasure, more or less. Yeah. No. <laughs> Harry tells her that they'll try something, and he sets it up so that Susan can be alone and masturbate facing a mirror while the camera's on the other side of the room shooting the reflection. We see Susan playing with an egg vibrator, and over the course of a few minutes, she gets off. <laughs> they finally cut and Harry says fucking beautiful we then cut to Susan and Harry on a ferry and they're chatting Susan asks if he's thought of making straight films or you know non-pornographic films right he notes no one's ever asked him to <laughs> that's fair we then see Harry in his car at this point I think still on the ferry talking about his fuck film philosophy specifically focusing on the audience they're very important. Uh, there was a sculpture in the last scene while where they're on set, right? That uh, it looks very much like a very stupid napkin holder that a friend of mine had that he got from IKEA. <laughs> it was like a plastic base with uh -huh. a like long thin metal wire, and then like a heavy weight okay. that would just attach to the wire. That uh, was I guess supposed to hold the napkins in place, right? But uh, if it got moved at all or anything, the uh, metal weight would just kind of flop off and just clank very loud on the glass top table that he had. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I was like, why did you go to Ikea? And of all the things they had, you bought this. Right. I, I don't know. Maybe he just had like $30. 
to spend. Who knows? <laughs> uh, I would have got some meatballs instead, I guess. <laughs> but uh, that's what I think of you people in your modern architecture and your uh, household appliances and accoutrements. That if you're going to go to Ikea, you might as well just get some meatballs. Get some meatballs. Get one of those uh, things that holds all the records. Uh-huh. Get a couple of those. Those are nice. And then just spend the rest of your money on meatballs. Don't get a ridiculous <laughs> napkin holder. Fair enough. That's all I can say. We see Susan and Harry uh, still in the car, but now on the road. Then we see them at a beach where Susan and Harry are chasing each other around. And Susan rides Harry's back as he runs through the sand. You know, this movie is late because he just keeps horsing around on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he needs to get to work. Right. We see them run around for a bit more, and then we cut to Max taking a phone call. He's talking to Norman, played by Jamie Gillis, who uh, he's who is currently getting a massage and talking to Max about some advertising deal. After finishing on the advertising topic, Norman tells Max that he wants to meet Susan. Max says... He's going to have a ton of people over this weekend, and Norman can fuck a million girls. But Norman clarifies he doesn't want a million girls. He wants Susan. And Max assures Norman that Susan will be at his party. We then cut to Harry at what I thought at first was the club, but I think it's Max's party. Yeah, it's just a bopping disco party. It's 1978 after all. It is, I guess. That's true. We cut to Harry talking to a woman there, uh, Marge. Uh, she invites Harry back to her place, and Harry says he's not going to sleep with her and points out that she's Max's wife. So yes, Marge is Max's wife and trying to sleep with Harry. Yeah. But Marge points out that Max is with other women all the time, pointing out that he is, in fact, at the moment talking to a young woman. Yes, he's horny for everyone. Yes, he is. Marge finally leaves Harry in frustration, and we get more of Max flirting. We then cut to Norman talking to Susan. He mentions all the things he's seen her do in movies and asks her why she does it. She says it pays the rent. Norman says if it's rent she needs, he can help her out. He can get her some commercial jobs, and she wouldn't have to fuck on screen. Susan notes that she wouldn't have to fuck on screen, but she'd end up having to fuck somebody. Yeah. He offers to make some sort of arrangement with her, and Susan says that she's tired, and he's a nice guy, but... And then he cuts her off, upset. Yeah. He asks if his cock isn't big enough for her, or if he doesn't have enough money. He drops a soft (laughs) N-bomb. Yes, he does. (laughs) She says it's not his money, and explains that she's looking for a real relationship. He says, relationship my ass, you fucking perverts are all alike. Susan walks off and Norman says I'll see you in the movies Sucking off uh, And that's where he drops his N-bomb On screen He does do it soft He just does an A He doesn't do a hard R (laughs) So uh, you know I I guess I appreciate that (laughs) I'm not going to go as far as to say I appreciate it (laughs) Well Okay But he says I'm not good enough for you huh I'll show you you fucking bitch We then Cut to Joey Silvera talking up Anne. He tells her that the only dance that he does is the Scandinavian shuffle. Anne notes, that sounds kinky enough. How do you do it? He says, lying down. She says, like fucking? 
After some back and forth between them about different types of fucking, we cut to them making out naked in bed. Joey suggests that she should suck his cock, and she does. She stops to note that he has a beautiful cock. <laughs> the second time somebody has been told they have a beautiful cock in a different person. Yeah, well, you know, everyone really just has very nice cocks. Uh, she elaborates that they come in all shapes and sizes, but this one is kind of special. After a bit, Joey tells Anne to show him her ass, and she lays across his body as uh, she plays with herself and sucks his cock. Joey says she has a nice ass and that he should fuck her in the ass. He tells her to get him nice and hard, and he'll fuck her in the ass, which she responds to with enthusiasm. Yeah, and you'll notice she's wearing a heart waist chain, which is new from the Dorenzi collection. (laughs) (laughs) We then cut to Anne riding Joey's cock with her ass in reverse cowgirl. Uh, This is a pretty good uh, shot here, and we get a couple of angles, but this goes on for a few minutes, uh, to the delight of all. After that, we see her sucking his cock. I hope it was washed in between. After a bit, she says she wants to watch him come and has him jerk off as she gets a good look at his cock and indeed watches him come. Now... Maybe I'm hallucinating. I don't know, but I feel like... Does he come in her hair? Does he just, like, shoot a load, like, right past her into her hair? I didn't catch that if he did. I feel like there's a sex scene in this film, and it's not in my notes. Okay. But it's something I saw. Someone gets, like, a load that just goes, like, completely, like, bypasses their head and just, like, straight into the hair. (laughs) It might be in this scene or a later one, but it's something to look out for if you're watching this film. Excellent. (laughs) Because I just looked at the load, and it just, is it congealed there? (laughs) (laughs) We cut to Susan with Harry. She asks if she can stay with him, and Harry tells her there's plenty of room, but she says that's not what she means. She wants to stay with him. He asked if she means to cook and clean, and she says she doesn't do that stuff. Harry asks what she does then, and she says she fucks and sucks for a living, and it's the only thing she knows. She says to let her do that to him. Fuck him. Harry says he doesn't have time to get involved with anyone now. He has to focus on his work. Susan says that she won't interfere. She knows what he needs, and what he needs... Harry stops her and says, I need a new scene. That's what I need. Harry asks why she's interested in him of all people, and she says she's tired of fucking for other people and says that she'll be good to him. She'll suck his cock and get off just listening to his enjoyment. She says, I just want to fuck you, that's all. Harry tells her to stop it. We then cut to Susan getting dressed on set as Harry smokes a cigarette and talks philosophically about porn. She finally asks if he wants to start, and he says yes. We then cut to Harry laying on a leather table in a dark room under a spotlight. He's wearing a leather collar as Susan blows him. This is a little reminiscent of uh, some of the scenes in Corruption, where they use like they kind of just flood everything with black. Yeah, I could see yeah, that. And kind of like keep the light directly on the characters. Uh, it's nice. 
kind of a prefigure stat by a couple of years. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's always a it's always a good look. Uh, 1001 Erotic Nights kind of did it with white a little bit. Right. The second one, the one we covered last week. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is the black. We saw Jamie the white, and soon we will see Jamie the black. Yes. <laughs> That's not the word he uses for them, though. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> Susan rubs the fabric of her lingerie wrap around his cock a bit, and then blows him more and has him suck on the heel of her shoe. Uh, there's, again, some good ball licking and sucking here. After a bit, we shift to a full 69, and soon after, Susan finishes Harry off in and around her mouth. We cut to Paul, or whatever his name is. I think it's Paul. It's one of the people on set. He's talking to Harry about how he can't get a hold of her, and oh, we yeah. soon find out she is Susan mm-hmm. that they can't get a hold of. He tells him to check with Helen and see if she knows where she is, whoever Helen is. He has a conversation about costumes with the costume lady and tells another crew member that Susan's missing. We then abruptly cut to Susan tied to a ladder by Norman as he's menacing her. Uh, Things escalated quickly. Yes, this is... uh... I was not prepared for this final act twist. I was not, and it kind of affected my feelings on the movie. We'll get to it, but yeah. uh, Susan asks what he wants with her, and he talks about how if anybody finds them there, nobody will believe anything she tells them, which is always a great start to a conversation. He starts talking about the things that he's seen her do on screen, and he asks her if she's afraid that his dick isn't big enough for her. It's at this point that he's brandishing a razor and starts to cut her top open as Susan starts to feign interest in him in hopes of escape, most likely, or at least not getting uh, murdered. Yeah, not at least, the very least, not getting cut with the razor. Uh, she offers to fuck him or anything he wants. He demands that she tells him that she loves him, and uh, she again offers to fuck him, but he insists that she tells him that she loves him. He continues to threaten her with the razor, and uh, she does tell him that she loves him. She asks him to untie her, and instead he cuts her panties off with the razor. Norman refers to her panties as hoary. He starts to cut Susan's ropes loose, telling her she better not run, threatening to slit her throat, amongst other things. Norman says that he's either going to get off on watching her fuck or watching her bleed. She asks him to put away the razor, but uh, he insists against that. The razor stays. Yes. Yeah, he's quite a bit like David Hess in uh, House on the Edge of the Park. That's a great comparison. <laughs> yeah. Um, he would have done really good in like a... I've, I don't know... I've heard it be a recommendation for forced entry, and I'm not 100% sure what that is. I think it's a Sean Costello. Yeah. Uh, is that just a movie where Jamie Gillis is a home invader? That's what I'm going to imagine it is until it we cover it. Very well might be. I'm going to believe. Uh, I think it's... I might give it a five if that's what it is. <laughs> well, Susan sucks Norman's cock as he continues to menace her with the razor. He has her lay back and play with herself for a moment, and he holds open her vagina, waving the razor around it a bit before uh, seemingly putting it away and beginning to lick and finger both her vagina and asshole. 
He, in fact, has her say that she loves her fingers up her asshole. He has a finger both in her vagina and ass and uh, pulls on her pubes a bit. He continues to work her holes for a bit and then has her get in doggy position so that he can begin to fuck her from behind. Norman bangs away for a bit, telling her to thank him for fucking her, which she does. I sure hope someone stops this soon. He asks her to tell him that she loves it, and she says no, leading him to start throwing her around for a second before she starts complying again. He continues to make her say things and threaten her, and he finally pulls out and comes on her ass and back. We then cut to Harry playing with some pendulum balls at his desk. Yes. He's hearing flashback audio hallucinations as he's fidgeting. We then cut to a repeat shot from earlier of Harry talking to Max about the film. We hear Harry repeat the line again, telling Max that the film just needs a new end. As Max in the flashback exhales, the screen freezes, and we cut to credits. And that was the end of Skin Flicks. Huh. Yep. Really? Doinks your dink. It's a... <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. There's a lot to talk about. So, yeah. in preparation, we're going to take a break, and then we'll be back to give our thoughts on Skin Flicks. back on the raincoat report talking skin flicks jeremy what do you have to say about skin flicks well still better than netflix (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah you called this film rough around the edges earlier i think that's a pretty good way to put it yeah it's definitely a flawed film but it's a film with a lot of very interesting ideas and themes right throughout like, it's obviously, uh, it seems like a pretty autobiographical film in some ways, even right. if it's not expressed entirely clearly mm-hmm. uh, through the end of it. But uh, it's, a, it's a pretty unique film. Like, the only other thing I can really think of that we've covered similar is maybe something like Matinee Idol, which presents a pretty idealized version of uh, the porn industry. And yeah. this one's a little bit grittier and uh more real i guess right or um at least that realistic to uh damiano's some of damiano's experiences right right uh it's definitely not as good as something like memories within miss aggie right but it's a film that takes some chances with uh getting a little bit more cerebral than most uh adult films would Mm -hmm. uh I think it's uh, it's an interesting like uh, an exploration of uh, this character Harry and his motives and and some of Damiano's I guess motivating philosophies, right? But uh, its narrative is a little bit of a mess. It kind of feels like a couple films chopped together in a way, right? 
but uh, that doesn't necessarily hurt it too much. I think what does the most damage to this film for me has to be the final act, which yeah. feels like something that was cut from water power. <laughs> yeah. Um, it just doesn't quite fit. And then the final revelation that either these are memories of the past 10 days or none of this happened. Uh, I assume it's the, the latter. Like it's all just been occurring in his mind while he's just disassociated while talking to Max. It's, <laughs> I didn't think about it that way. Uh, it's not entirely clear to me which it is because it does play like memories in a way and they're kind of uh, fragmented and kind of episodic. Uh, there's not like, you know, like a clear like A to B to C narrative or anything like that. So in that, I do think it's a pretty interesting, maybe almost experimental film uh, yeah. in terms, especially for pornography, um, which at the time in the late 70s had kind of settled into a, a pretty nice groove of churning out stuff like hot rackets and the like. Right. Uh I think he's here to challenge those conventions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is kind of like uh, Damiano's Eight and a Half. Yeah. It's a little less oh. surrealistic and yeah. a little more just weird. Also a little proto-Boogie Nights. Yeah, yeah. Just a bit, you know, something kind of going like behind the porn industry and the making of a film and something like that. Yeah. But I think there are some like pretty big flaws in it especially like i said towards the end that kind of uh i don't know just remove me from the film a bit like it's a good and intense scene but it doesn't fit yeah it's I think... kind of like in uh barbara broadcast where they he used that leftover bit from uh opening the misty beethoven yeah where it's just uh jamie gillis being necessarily brutal yeah like it does fit his character in this but he was never, I feel like, a big enough presence in the film to justify bringing this back to be like the finale. Yeah, that, that's the problem with this film, or at least my problem with the film and its plot, mm -hmm. is the the fact that there's not like a real clear direction of the whole thing. But mm -hmm. I think that might be part of the point, because the film ends with the director talking about how he needs an ending for the film. Right. And then the movie ends. Yeah, yeah. And the film doesn't feel like anything was really uh, solved or like any yeah. questions were answered. Um, you know, you don't have to have a definite ending to your film by any stretch. Right. And, I mean, you know, th that was the choice basically here. Yeah. But I feel like you have to do something to satisfy the audience. And unless what you were looking for for satisfaction was Jamie Gillis menacing a woman into sex, which, yeah, I like mean, if you're going for just shock, it works. Right. But that isn't like the tone of the rest of the film necessarily. Well, we don't meet Jamie Gillis until halfway into the movie, right. over halfway into the movie. And we've met Sharon Mitchell kind of out of nowhere. Right. Which is another thing, which is uh, going back to last week, is that a lot of the character development, you don't really get to meet many of these people long enough to develop any kind of attachment to them. But saying that, if you're just seeing this, like, 
everything's kind of just a mouthpiece for Damiano and his views. Right. Or uh, like some like competing philosophies or, you know, competing themes or something like that. Right. Then uh, it makes a lot of sense that they're not very well developed because it's not, they're not you know, supposed to be necessarily. Right. But uh, it's just, yeah, kind of threadbare and just rough enough around uh, the edges to uh, continue to use that phrase. Well, and, and I'd like to add, though, I think that there are some interesting threads here, even mm. if uh, everything really isn't very well developed, as I kind of alluded to. But, like, I think that there's something to be said about the film exploring pornography from a few different perspectives. Right. Um, I think that there's something interesting here with uh, the the idea of like obsession and ownership because mm-hmm. we have Norman here who clearly is an important part of the film despite the fact that you know he doesn't show up until over halfway into the film and all that but right he has this feeling that like you know Susan should be able to give him sex because she has sex on film. Yeah, he has yeah, this yeah. like stalkery thing going on, which right. you know ends with him menacing and raping her at the end. Unfortunately, but it's an interesting. Um, it seems like it might be an interesting metaphor for mm-hmm. the viewers of pornography. Sure. The way that they certain attitudes. Some of them probably were definitely had. Right. Or uh, maybe just more generalized. And there's also the talk at the very beginning where uh, Harry's talking to the potential actress, uh, I guess it was Anne, Mm -hmm. about how, you know, one day her family might see it or somebody else might see it. And so Harry's doing his due diligence to make people think about things, which is nice for the character. But I think that when you think about that and... Jamie Gillis's character Norman and stuff like that the obsession that they have mm-hmm. I think that it's a lot of this film is trying to explore the negatives of porn um and it does so not always being a bummer but ultimately no, yeah. being a bummer <laughs> right yeah it's kind of a definitely like a downbeat ending on a film that i don't necessarily know needed one right but or at least not so downbeat <laughs> right um and you know there's also the obsession of harry as the director he's mm-hmm. trying to do something artistic and right um it kind of does make me think about the things i've read about damiano and him you know, being at odds with the money men who are usually, you know, connected guys and yeah, all of that. Yeah. And uh, there being threats and stuff like that. And um, how Damiano didn't necessarily want to make porn, but he didn't have a whole lot of opportunities to do much else. So he just went with it. Right. Um, you know, the line uh, about how nobody's asked me to make a straight film or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um. But at the same time, Harry has this enthusiasm about pornography as an art form and is happy to ramble on and on about that. So he has some passion for his work, and he's always talking about how he needs to focus on his work and all of this. So, 
you know, again, we get connected to most likely Damiano's view of things. And uh, there's a lot to think about in this film. Mm -hmm. And the sex scenes in it are largely good. Um, Yeah, they're not mind-blowing or anything. Right. They're not... Kind of feels like, in a way, they're not necessarily the point either. Right. Like in uh, some other films, you know. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a flawed, uh, but it's a flawed, complicated film, I think. Yeah. And there's a lot to... It leaves you thinking a lot at the end, which is uh, always, I think, a pretty good mark. And it's not of a, of a film. It's not necessarily like... A confusion about what happened it's just you know about those themes and everything we've talked about right um but it's not i believe at the end of the day as fully realized as it could be i wonder if the reason is because some wise guy was leaning on him to get the movie sooner <laughs> that would be very funny uh, <laughs> but uh i would say at the end of the day i would give it uh i'd give it a four just because it's a very interesting and complex film all right uh i was leaning towards a three and a half but i feel like it's a fairly unique uh film that gives you a a a pretty good look into a creator's headspace yeah uh and i think for that it's worth bumping it up just a little bit i would say it's a pretty important film to get to eventually if you're uh watching all these things uh just as like uh Point to pause and reflect upon all you've learned. Yes. Uh, This had a beautiful Blu-ray release by Vinegar Syndrome, but Mm -hmm. unfortunately it is now out of print. Yeah. And as good as that is, I think it had still been, it looks like maybe chopped up a little bit and they had to. There were definitely, if nothing else, like missing frames and stuff because the video kind of skips a few times. Yeah, it skips occasionally and and then sometimes it looked like there's stuff that was kind of like put back in that they found right um so it's probably the most complete version of it that exists right so uh i don't know how much of it is missing to be honest probably not a ton i would think but i think it's probably mostly mostly there yeah it's like a wicker man situation where there's always going to be a cut that's like slightly longer that no one will ever find because rod stewart had it buried under a freeway (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to give this three and a half stars. I That's fair. I enjoy it. I think at the end of the day, I'm left unsatisfied with it, but mm-hmm. uh, not like I'm unsatisfied with the resolution of the plot, I guess. Yeah. But I do like the sex. I, I like, but don't love the sex in the yeah, film. Yeah, there's a couple good sequences. That one towards the end with... Uh, Harry and Sharon Mitchell's character is really, I think, probably the highlight. Yes, I would agree. Uh, um, you know, the, I, I just and and I hate that it just ends with a a nasty rape scene that I, I didn't think, see coming at all. I think if it were like a roughy type film, that right. scene would be very strong and effective, uh, and I would feel differently about it. But I, I do believe the context affects it a lot. Yes. Yeah, but. I mean, that was Damiano's choice. I think that his, I guess his his feeling was that by doing it that way, it was more effective in the sense that like it's in contrast to the rest of the film. But at the end of the day, it just made me like it less. So, That's but 
it was still an interesting film. There's a lot to think about with it, and it's something that I've thought back on. I, I saw it a couple years back, okay. and I had the same basic feeling in that I enjoyed it, but I kind of hated the end. Yeah. But it was uh, it was interesting. You guys should check it out. Everyone, give it a go. Give it a go. You know what else you should give a go? Following us on social media if you haven't. Yeah. We are on Instagram and Twitter at Raincoat Report. You can check us out at patreon.com slash raincoat report. You do have to type it in because of what Boss has done. Because of what I've done. But uh, let's sail along nicely. At this point, we have about... uh, 15 or so Patreon episodes for you to check out. So you get access to all of that. We yeah. do uh, two extra episodes every month. You get early access. You don't hear bosses commercial about anchor. <laughs> uh, it's a good, if you got five extra dollars a month, you know, that's a it's the best way to spend it. <laughs> that is the best way to spend it in <laughs> this economy. In this economy. I can't think of anything else. <laughs> I would spend five dollars on besides a podcast. Uh so I think that's why you should dig into it. Uh if you got any questions, movie suggestions, you can DM me at those uh social media accounts. Otherwise you can get after us at raincoatreport at gmail dot com. Yes, if you find any uh ancient tombs full of antique pornography, send them our way. Yeah, yeah. And all attendant curses as well. Because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> uh, if you're going to get taken to a dirty old warehouse by Jamie Gillis, don't forget your <laughs> raincoat. As many layers as possible. Yeah. 